Has there ever been a time in your life where you've made a decision and then after you've made that decision, you tend to look back and you start to question yourself? You know what I mean? You start to wonder, did I really make the, the right decision there? Is this what I was supposed to do? Maybe it was after you bought your first car. Maybe you buy that first car and you begin to think, can I really afford these monthly payments? Did I just make a terrible financial decision? For me, it was after I bought my, my first house. I remember thinking, how in the world am I going to make these monthly payments, right? And then I started to think, man, I made such a terrible mistake because when I rented an apartment, if something broke, what did I do? I just called them and they fixed it, and I can't fix anything. And so now I'm in trouble because I have to pay someone else to come fix all the mistakes that I make. But there are times in life that we look back and we just begin to doubt ourselves. Maybe you've doubted your favorite sports team this year. Maybe you, you thought you were, your team was going to win, but maybe you're going to the game and on the way to the game you're thinking, you know what, I just don't think our team has what it needs to win. I know none of you have ever doubted your coaches, right? You know one has ever said, hey, I could have coached a better game than that. I just doubt whether they really know what they're doing or not. There are times in our life that we just look back and we question, we have doubts, we have uncertainties about, did we make the right decision? Can I have certainty about this decision? But friends, there's one thing in our life that we should not have to question. There's one thing in our life that we shouldn't have to have doubts. We shouldn't have to lay our heads on our pillows and wonder if we have lost our salvation. We shouldn't have to question whether or not we have, first of all, made the right decision. Have we truly placed our faith and hope and trust in Jesus? But then at the same time, we shouldn't have to look back and question whether or not we still have our salvation. Now lately, especially as I've been preaching through the book of John, we've been focusing on what, according to Scripture, does a true, genuine follower of Jesus look like? Not what we've been taught, not what the Baptist faith and message teaches us, but according to Scripture, what does it look like to be a genuine follower of Jesus? And we're going to continue that thought today because my hope, my desire, is that each and every person here in the sanctuary, but also those that are watching our live stream, that they have a confidence that you have an assurance, not just a, well, I hope so, well, I think so, but a confidence that after you breathe your very last breath here on this earth, which we all will do at some point, unless we're here when the Lord returns, that our very next breath, that we will be in the presence of Jesus. That we will hear him say the words that we all long to hear well done, my good and faithful servant. We want that confidence, but if you've been here any amount of time, you know that what I have shared over and over again is that my biggest fear, I should say concern, because as Christians we're not supposed to fear, as your pastor, is for people who think that they are going to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, who think they are going to be in the presence of Jesus because of a, an outward expression of faith that they made dozens of years ago, but their heart was never transformed. Their life was never truly changed. And instead of hearing the words, well done, my good and faithful servant, instead the conversation is going to go more like what Jesus described in Matthew chapter 7, 
when he said, on that day, meaning the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So with that said, my hope today is that we're going to spend some time, and I'm speaking directly to those who are genuinely following Jesus, those who have given their hearts and their lives to following Jesus, those who understand that being a Christian is not just a title that describes a portion of your life, but being a Christian, it defines your life. This is who you are. And the question that I hope by the end of this message that we can settle, that you will no longer have to question is, is it possible for a true follower of Jesus to lose his or her salvation? Now, I've already given you my answer, haven't I? I've already told you, in my opinion, I do not think that a true follower of Jesus can lose their salvation. But I want to spend the majority of our time looking at why I believe this, again, coming from the standpoint of what does Scripture say. The truth of the matter is we can answer this question pretty quickly. There's two verses that give us the answer. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, two verses that you, if you were raised in church, have probably heard for most of your life. Paul says that it's for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. So listen to me. So when it comes to the question of whether or not someone can trust Christ as Savior and then lose their salvation, these two verses, they teach us pretty plain and pretty simple that since we can do nothing good enough to achieve salvation, because there's nothing that we can do to earn it or to deserve it, then there's nothing bad enough that we can do as well to actually lose our salvation. Let me pull the curtain back for you on my life growing up um, just for just three or four minutes. I was raised in church. I was in church every time the doors were open. My granddad was the associate pastor of my church, and I was in third grade at the end of vacation Bible school when I went forward. I remember walking down that aisle and trusted Christ as my Savior. I didn't understand everything then, but you know what? I still don't understand everything now either. But here's what I did know. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that my sin needed to be forgiven. And I trusted that Jesus was God's son and that he was my savior. So the best that I knew how as a third grade little boy, I trusted Christ as my savior. But growing up in high school, again, in church every time the doors were open, my church this was kind of popular in the Baptist denomination. Maybe it was popular here in the 90s as well. I'm not sure. Made a big deal of a decision they called recommitment or rededicating your life. And friends, I publicly rededicated my life three different times in high school. After every youth camp, after D-Now. And Why? I didn't think that I had lost my salvation then by coming and publicly rededicating my life that I was going to all of a sudden regain the Lord's trust or his salvation. But I thought that if I publicly rededicated my life, which by the way, I did it hundreds of times privately, 
that if I did that, that I would make God proud of me, that I would not maybe sin as much, that maybe God would love me more because I was doing something publicly for him. Church, here's the problem with rededication. The the problem with publicly rededicating your life is that is something that as followers of Jesus, we should do every single day of our lives, right? Every single day as a follower of Jesus, we should wake up and say, I'm recommitting that today I am going to live for the Lord. Today I am rededicating that my past mistakes, my past failures paid for by the blood of Jesus, but I am rededicating that today I'm going to strive to live for eternity. It's not just something that we do whenever we hit rock bottom. It's not just something that we do whenever we have some religious experience. It should be part of our life. But going a step further, many denominations, there's even one branch of our own Baptist denominations, they will teach that you can actually be a Christian at some point in your life and then die as a non-Christian. Some people will teach that following the Lord, if you have a pure heart, you're seeking him, you read his word, you pray, you tithe, you do all the things that you know you're supposed to do and you're genuinely following the Lord, that even after doing that, if before you die, before you pray for confession or you repent of your sin, if you do sin at the end, that that one sin can actually keep you from gaining acceptance into heaven. And here's what's so crazy about that. So many people who say that you cannot be saved by your works, that it's nothing you can do that can save you, they will be the same ones who will say, even though your works can't save you, your works can actually condemn you to hell if you do more bad than good or if you do not confess your sin at the end of your life. But friends, it just doesn't make sense. Either our works and our actions and our lives, they are part of our salvation, or they aren't. You can't have it both ways. So I want you to hear me on this. Here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible clearly teaches us that salvation is received through individuals entirely as a gift of grace. It is an undeserved gift. It is an unearned gift, and it is given to us regardless of our works, period, plain and simple. Now, I know there are a lot of type A personalities in the room here, right? Go ahead, I'm one of you, so I can embrace that. A lot of engineers in here and lawyers, and you want to know, okay, let's make sure that we've got this black and white here. So, for all our type A personalities, let me give you an equation, right? I'm speaking your language, aren't I? I'm trying, I'm trying, okay? Let me give you an equation for what salvation is not, okay? Salvation is not Jesus plus works. I'm going to trust Jesus, and then I'm going to earn it by the works that I do. Salvation is not Jesus plus baptism. We just saw Uh, Two that got baptized a moment ago, and I told them before they were baptized, today is not the day you became a Christian. You trusted Christ as your Savior weeks ago. Today you are publicly showing what Jesus has already done in your heart. Salvation does not mean that you have to be baptized. Jesus plus church membership. Just because you're a part of a church doesn't mean you have to join the church and follow Jesus. Salvation is not Jesus plus confession. And finally, salvation is not Jesus plus an allegiance 
to a certain denomination. All right, so that's a lot of knots, right? So salvation isn't all of those things. So what is salvation? Well, you got to go back to the two verses that we just looked at. Let's look at it again, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the what? Gift of God. Not a result of works. Why? So that no one may boast. So church family, based on this very simple and clear teaching that we read in Scripture, the equation for salvation is this. I want you to write this down. Jesus plus nothing else equals salvation. Jesus plus nothing else that you put into it is how we gain salvation. Friends, you don't work for your salvation. Think about it. If you had to work for your salvation, if it was based on something that you did, money that you gave, time that you spent, service that you gave, then it wouldn't be a gift in the first place, would it? That would be an award. That would be something that because of the effort, because of the time, because of the energy that you have put in, I am an exchange going to get. This is no exchange that we're giving with God. God is completely giving us this gift of grace. And friends, since salvation is 100% completely a gift of grace, that is why we are so secure in our salvation. We are secure because our security is found not in what we do or what we don't do, but our security is found in Christ. And friends, there can be no greater security than understanding it rest upon Jesus himself. Let me give you an example. If our salvation, if our security is found not in what we do, but instead on the one who is holding you, that would be like, let's say that I'm about to fall off the cliff. I'm holding on to the edge of a cliff. And with my left hand, I'm holding on as tightly as I can. With all of my strength, I'm trying to pull myself up. And with my right hand on the other side of that cliff, is my eight-month-old little boy, John, and he's trying to pull me up. How much do you think I have in security that he's going to be able to pull me up? The answer's not much, all right? He's, he's pretty weak. He just learned how to crawl, all right? But that same example, if I'm holding on with all of my might, with all of my strength, I'm gripping onto it, but then on the other side of the cliff, it's not my eight-month-old little boy, but now it's Dwayne Johnson, also known as The Rock. He's on the other side grabbing my hand. How much more do I have security now that he's going to be able to pull me up? A lot more, right? Now listen, in both of those examples, I am giving my very best effort. I'm holding on, whether it's John on the other side or whether it's the rock, with all of my might, with all of my strength. I'm doing all that I can to make sure I don't fall off that cliff. So my hope is not in myself holding onto that cliff, but my hope is on the person who is on the other side holding the other hand there. Do you see where I'm going here with this? Church, our confidence is not that we are able to be good enough. Our confidence isn't that we can try hard enough, that we can maintain the rules, that we can do enough good things. No, our confidence is in the one who has given us the gift of salvation, that Jesus is 100% able to hold us, and we know that Jesus always keeps his promises. Listen to how incredible Peter puts it. 
1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 5. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us. We didn't do anything. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. An inheritance is given to you. An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Where is it kept? In heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, be revealed in the last time. Church, if someone believes that they can lose their salvation... I'm not sure they understand the power of the death of Jesus. I'm not sure they understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus. And I know for certain they don't quite understand the power of the gift of grace. Now, in the five years I've been your pastor, I've said this over and over and over again. If I don't get anything across to you, I hope this is the one thing that I've gotten across to you. I want you to write this down. And that is that your relationship with Christ is not based on your performance. Instead, your relationship with Christ is based on Christ's finished work on the cross. Now, I hope that by using Scripture that I've proven to you that if salvation is not dependent upon you, then at the same time, it is not dependent upon you to maintain or to keep your salvation But before I move any farther, I want to make sure that you understand that once you grasp this, once you understand that salvation is a gift of God and that you uh, are able to maintain to keep that salvation based on what Jesus is doing for you, that should not cause you to sigh a deep uh, uh, breath of fresh air and say, whew, I'm so glad now I can keep on sinning. Now I can keep on living any way that I want because I know salvation is completely dependent upon Jesus and he's going to keep me through to the end. Friends, if that is your response to understanding what Jesus has done for you and what he has promised for you, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure you quite understand what salvation really means. Once you understand salvation, once you've experienced salvation, the forgiveness of all of your sins. Once you've understood that you were an enemy of God, and now God calls you a friend. You were an orphan, and now he's adopted you into your family. We were were separated from him, promised an eternity separated from him, but now he has granted us access into his heavenly throne. Once we understand that, all undeserved, all because of nothing that we have done, our response is that we want to abuse grace, It's not that we want to just neglect all that God has done for us so that we take it for granted. No, we embrace it. As a result, we want to honor the Lord. We want to please him. We want to walk more closely with him. Why? Because we understand how much his great love has done for us. So once we understand that we can't lose our salvation, the last question that we need to answer this morning is how can we know with full assurance? How can we know without a question in our mind that we are a child of God? How do we know tonight when I lay my head down on my pillow, there's not a shadow of doubt in my mind that I am the Lord's? 
I don't think there's a more important question that we can answer this year. In fact, I'll go and answer that for you. I know there isn't a more important question than we can answer than to have full confidence that we have been redeemed, we have been saved through Jesus Christ. To answer that question, how can I know with confidence that I'm a Christian? We're going to look at the words of one of Jesus' closest followers. And yes, that means we're going back to the book of John, okay? If you've been with us for the 2019, we are going through the book of John. I'll give you a preview. We still got the last half to go in 2020, so we're not going anywhere. So that Bible is going to be well written, and I hope, for the book of John. But the reason we're going to look at John today is because John has a unique perspective, According to Scripture, John seems to have had a closer walk, a closer relationship with Jesus than any of his other disciples. Now, there are five letters, five books that John um, has has been included in the New Testament. And one of those letters, towards the end, is a book called 1 John. This was a letter that John wrote to give those who were believers confidence, assurance that they truly were walking with the Lord, that they truly were Christians. John loved them so much. He didn't want to leave them wondering around if they were Christians or not. He didn't want them to have um, just a, a hope, but he wanted them to have confidence. So in our closing few moments today, I want us to look at two ways, according to Scripture, that you can be sure of your salvation. A couple years ago, I preached through the book of 1 John. I gave you 13 ways. I've gotten a lot smarter since then, I guess, and I've narrowed it down to two. Or I just think y'all are not, not going to stay for all 13. So I've narrowed it out. You can choose which one I think it is. Um, but I think these two capture the essence of how we can have confidence or assurance that we're walking with the Lord. Number one, you have placed your hope for heaven this next word's important, entirely on Jesus. You have placed your hope for heaven completely, 100% on Jesus. John said this in 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. Church, it's so easy. It's so simple that it's so easy for us to bypass and to make it so confusing and to miss it. Assurance of our salvation comes from believing in the name of Jesus. But hear me on this. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just saying I believe in my head. It's a heart knowledge. It's an obedience that that we know and we believe with our heart. And that belief causes our actions, our thoughts to change. Here's the gospel. The gospel is that we trust in Jesus' name. And that means that we cease, we stop striving to earn heaven by drawing on our own moral bank account, thinking that there's enough morality or integrity in our lives that we can keep withdrawing from our own bank account that God's going to love us. And instead of withdrawing on our own moral bank account, now we are going to withdraw from his righteousness account in our place. Righteousness, don't let that word get you uh, held up here. It's a big fancy word that means a right standing with God. 
So now I understand that I, uh, the gospel is not that I'm going to do enough good, that I'm going to take all of my good works and lay it before the Lord, but I'm going to withdraw from Jesus' account who lived a perfect life of obedience to his Father. He paid my debt on the cross, came back to life, defeated sin and then the grave, and now I'm going to withdraw from his righteousness because Jesus stands in my place. In fact, if you were to try to narrow the gospel down to four words, the four words I came up with were Jesus in my place. That's the gospel. Not I've done or I do or I've tried. No, no. The gospel is Jesus in my place. The assurance that we have of our salvation does not depend on how much we do. It doesn't depend on how much we've done, but instead it depends on whether or not I am resting in the finished work of Jesus on my behalf. Now let me get down to the root of where some of these questions, I think, come from, those especially that have been raised in church, and why maybe they wonder or doubt whether or not they're truly saved today. Some people will come to me and they'll say, oh, Blake, I was young, and I don't really remember a time or a date or where I was when I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. I just don't, I don't have all those details together. Some will say, well, Blake, I was young when I trusted Jesus, and there wasn't really this dramatic experience. There wasn't this Paul on the road to Damascus where I was doing all these terrible things, and I turned my life, and I'm just not sure because I didn't have an emotional experience whether or not I am truly saved. Listen to me. The most important question is not, tell me the time, tell me the date, tell me the place where you knelt down and you trusted and asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins and you became a Christian. The most important question that every one of us must answer is this, are you currently resting on Jesus as the payment for your sins? Are you currently resting, trusting, believing that Jesus was the payment for your sin? Go back to the verse that we just looked at, 1 John 5, 13. John didn't say, I write these things to those who have prayed the sinner's prayer. I write these things so that those that were at vacation Bible school in third grade and they walked an aisle and they, they signed a card, that that's who I write these things. No, 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 he didn't say that. He says he writes these things to those who what? Believe in Jesus. And understand, I'm going to say it again. Not just, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Because the Bible says even the demons believe in Jesus and they shudder. It's not just a belief, but that belief, it transfers to changing our thoughts. It changes our actions. It changes our desires and even our behaviors. Which leads to the second and final thing of how we can have assurance of our salvation. And that is that you have a new nature. I want you to hang with me on this because I don't want you to get confused by what I'm saying. John says this, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that does lead to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Listen to this last sentence. We know that everyone who has been born of God, that would be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, does not keep on sinning. But he who has been born of God protects him, 
and the evil one does not touch him. Church family, if you have been born of God, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a genuine disciple of Jesus, then you have been given a new nature. And with that new nature that the Holy Spirit gives you when you trust Christ as your Savior, that new nature comes with now new desires. And what do these new desires do? These new desires, they keep us from what John says, keeping on sinning. God changes us, not by beating us over the head with rules, not by saying, now that you're a Christian, here's all the things you can't do, here's all the things that you must do. That's what non-Christians think. They think, oh, well, if you become a Christian, then it's, your life's going to be a lot more strict and a lot more boring, and you can't do all these certain things because now you have new rules, you have a new set of regulations that you've got to live by. No, when, when God comes into our life, when Christ comes into our heart, He doesn't give us a new brain, He doesn't give us new rules and regulations, He gives us a what? A new heart. So now you no longer love dishonesty. You no longer love the things that the world loves. You no longer live with hatred in your heart, even for those who have wronged you. You no longer live with a desire for immorality in the things of this world like you used to before you trusted Christ as your Savior. This is where I want you to hear me on this. I'm not saying that you avoid them because you're afraid God's going to be mad at you if you sin. No. You avoid these things. You no longer are drawn to these things. Why? Because these things make you sick. They grieve your heart because you actively avoid them because now these things of the world, they are contrary. They are opposite of the new nature that the Holy Spirit has given you. Don't miss this. I am not saying that once you trust Christ as your Savior, you're never going to sin. I'm not saying that once you become a Christian, you're perfect, you're never even going to desire sin. No, as long as we are living in the flesh, as long as we're here on this earth, we are going to struggle with sin and temptation, right? That's something we all struggle with. But what I am saying is that when we have been given this new nature, when we do sin, it grieves us. When we do sin, it impacts us, and it's called the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and now we can't continue to live in that lifestyle of sin. Let me put it plainly for you. You cannot love God and love the things that grieve Him. Those two things are incompatible. You can't love God with all of your heart and at the same time love the things that grieve Him. And when you do sin, I hope you're hearing me on that, we're all going to sin. We're going to sin daily. When we do sin, John says that Jesus protects us. He renews us. Look at verse 18. But he who was born of God, what? Protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. In fact, one of the signs that your salvation is genuine is that even when you fall into sin, you will not permanently fall away. Why? 
Because God continually brings you back over and over and over again. Your new nature, it's not demonstrated by never falling away. We're going to, we live in the flesh, but our new nature is demonstrated by what we do when we fall. So let me ask you a question as I close this morning. Do you have full confidence? Do you have complete assurance that if today is the last day of your earthly life, that your very next breath is going to be with Jesus in heaven? And friend, if your answer is, yes, pastor, I do believe that because I've done X, Y, and Z, Hear me with all compassion, with all sincerity. If your answer is, yes, I have full confidence because of what I have done, you've completely missed the boat. Because there is no one, not even the best person in here, the most moral person in here, who is going to be able to stand face to face before God our Father, before the the creator of the universe, and say, God, because of what I've done, I think I can convince you to allow me into heaven based on what I haven't done, based on the things that I've avoided, I think that you, I've earned the right, you should allow me into your heavenly kingdom. Friend, if you think that Christianity is mainly going to church, if you think that being a Christian is believing a certain set of beliefs, if you think that being a Christian is about living a certain kind of lifestyle, then you have completely missed the purpose of Jesus' life. Because when we understand what Jesus has truly done for us, when we understand that, what I've said, the great exchange, that he took all of our guilt, that he took our shame, that he took all of the things that we have done wrong, and that we were placed upon him, his son, on the cross, and in exchange, we received a right standing with God. When we truly get that, there's no room for pride. There's no room for arrogance. There's no room to say, God, aren't you proud of all that I've done? God, aren't you proud that I avoided all these certain type of sins like my friends have done? No. The only thing that remains, when you understand what he has done for you, is a sense of awe, a sense of wonder of this unimaginable miracle that has taken place. Even I, a sinner who doesn't deserve your grace, who doesn't deserve forgiveness, it's a miracle that you would love me because of what Jesus has done for me. Our response is simply, thank you, Lord. That's all we can say before him. And if he has redeemed you, if he has purchased you, then you can have confidence There's nothing that can change that fact. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we thank you for our confidence and our assurance of our salvation that does not come from anything that we can do or say, but our confidence, our assurance comes from what Jesus has done in our place. And we simply say today at the beginning of a new year. Thank you once again for your grace. Thank you once again 
for the redemption that your son Jesus purchased for us. And Lord, if there's someone here today that has never made that next step of confessing their sin, of repenting of their sin, and calling out to you in need of a Savior, I pray that today will be the day of their salvation. That today they would stop trying to earn or deserve your love, and they would understand that you are a Heavenly Father that waits and longs to grant salvation to those who will confess their sin and call out to you as their Lord and Savior. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.